Today's lesson is taken from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That's Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Amen. It's lovely to be with you this morning and uh, it's hard to imagine that it's two years since we were here last time. Um, Just to say as well, uh, if you do want to receive news about our ministries and what we do, if you want to get on our support team, receive our prayer letters, please do grab us at the end, speak to myself, speak to Debbie, my sister Monica's here, or speak to Katie, who's in charge of the mission partners, and uh, just let them have your email and uh, speak to them. We'll We'll get you on the list. But a lot has happened in the last two years that we had no idea about. Um, I can remember when we were here last time, uh, two years ago, did, did a bit of teaching as well about conflict transformation. Uh, in the news, we saw about this disease that was uh, beginning to happen in China, but we thought, well, probably be a bit like bird flu. You know, it's going to be a problem for them over there, but it's probably not going to affect us too much and uh, how wrong we were. The world itself is in a difficult place, and as I've been thinking about the last few years, I remember that two years ago when we were here, we were in the middle of Brexit, and the big issue on the news every single day was Brexit and what was going to happen with Brexit, and then that was more or less taken care of, although we're still seeing the consequences, and COVID came in as the big thing that affected this world, and as was mentioned Uh, Just yesterday as well, we were reflecting on the 20-year anniversary of 9-11 and remembering the dead and their families 20 years on from that dreadful thing. The world we live in is a difficult place in many ways, and there's lots of things happening all the time that we cannot predict. And sometimes in the middle of those difficult times, we really need to focus on the Lord and take time to let him speak to us and teach us through what's happening. And I want to take the book of Habakkuk this morning and learn some lessons from COVID and use that as our starting point. If you have a Bible, if you have your your phone with your Bible app on it, I'd encourage you to open it up now. Uh, We did have the four uh, first verses read to us, but we're going to move on from those four verses and jump into a few different places and have something of an overview of the book. Uh, And during the overview, I'm going to launch a couple of specific questions for each of us to think about and reflect on. So why don't we pray as we get into the book of Habakkuk and try and learn lessons from COVID. Father, we uh, commit this time into your hands and just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. That as we delve into your word in the book of Habakkuk, you would be speaking to us. You would challenge us. You would comfort us. You would encourage us. And you would guide us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we see is uh, Habakkuk's complaint. 
And we see that in the verses that we read, verses 1 to 4. It starts off with, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen and cry out to you violence, but you do not save. It's interesting that Habakkuk begins this book saying, how long? How long do we have to put up with all of this? I think as we think about that question of how long, really the the pandemic and lockdown is the primary thing that comes into our mind. And I'm sure that you, as we, many times asked, how long is this going to go on? Debbie mentioned that we thought at first maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month, and here we are 18 months later, and actually still not out of it, even though the vaccination program is well advanced in this country and and many countries around the world, like Bolivia, would look upon the UK rollout with envy. Bolivia is somewhere in the region of 40 to 45 percent. Here we're between 85, 90 percent, well advanced. But we're still not out of it. We don't know if the new variants are going to come in. We don't know when the government's going to change its ruling on when we can travel to certain countries. Uh, Debbie and I managed to get here to uh, England through the United States. Uh, We had to change all our plans at the last minute. The Spanish government closed down uh, entry for Bolivians, people from Bolivia, which was our original plan. We had to change all of our plans, rebook, and come through the States. But right now we've managed to get here, but we can't go back. Because the U.S. doesn't allow British citizens in at this time. So we're stuck until who knows when. And uh, many times you, like we, will have asked the question, how long? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. It was around the year 600 BC when Habakkuk was writing this book and he was writing in a situation that was already difficult. He was writing in a situation where the people of Judah were in rebellion. They had distanced themselves from God and uh, the Lord had already allowed the Assyrian nation to take control of Judah. So they were occupied as a nation. They were in a difficult situation. They were far from God. And Habakkuk speaks into that saying, Lord, how long is this going to go on? He may have wished, and maybe you've done this too, he may have wished he never asked the question. Because in the Lord's reply, as we will see in a moment, the Lord didn't say this is going to be a short-term thing and this is going to get better. He said this is going to get a whole lot worse. Bolivia is an interesting place to live. It's an interesting country. It's never a dull moment. When I look at these three verses, uh, verse 2 particularly applies to COVID. As I've mentioned, how long is this going to go on? Uh, Verse 3 applies particularly to the political situation and elections. As As a new democracy, relatively speaking, Bolivia doesn't do democracy very well just yet. We've been through several general elections in the last couple of years. And uh, things are changing all the time. And usually elections are accompanied by a lot of violence. I remember uh, Debbie and I were out uh, down in the city one time. And there was a march by the supporters of the government at that time. And the government in Santa Cruz is not very popular. We are. We're pretty anti-government, rebellious in the, in the east of Bolivia. 
And uh, as the march went past, suddenly whole groups of young men with sticks and clubs came out from the local neighborhood and started attacking the marchers. And there was a, a bloody fight on the street there in front of our eyes. Violence and destruction. And the law is paralyzed. Justice in Bolivia, sadly, is uh, not blind. It will often depend on how much money you have and how much you can pay the judge. It will often depend on what your political party is, what your bias is. Uh, some of you will mention when we were here last time, we talked about a change in government. Evo Morales, the socialist leader, had kind of been uh, pushed out of Bolivia and an interim government came in. And as he and his uh, ministers left the country fleeing, uh, lots of legal uh, processes were launched against them for corruption and for incompetence. And uh, all of a sudden, they were, they were hunted uh, people, given asylum in certain countries. But then the elections happened again, and his former party was brought back in. His successor was brought back in. The interim government was kicked out. All of the processes against the previous ministers were dropped, and they were welcomed back as if nothing had ever happened. And suddenly, there were all these new processes against the interim government and the interim president, who actually is in prison as we speak, and has been for about six months and has not been tried. The government put her in prison just because they could. So as I think about Bolivia and I see this about COVID and politics and elections and injustice, I say the world in many ways hasn't changed very much. And maybe even here in the Western world, we think about um, all the stuff that we've been going through with COVID. We even think about things like Afghanistan. And as the Lord began to speak here to Habakkuk that something even worse was going to happen and the Babylonians were going to swing in and take control of Judah, and that they were worse than the Assyrians. We might think of the Taliban sweeping across Afghanistan and taking control with a speed that none of us expected, and so many people trying to flee that nation and get out as best they could. Our world is not that much different, and Habakkuk comes with a complaint to God. How long do we have to put up with all of this. My question to you this morning is what is your how long? What are you struggling with that brings you to the Lord to question what is happening here? What is going on in my life? Why is it that my loved one has turned away from the Lord? Why is it that my children are against me? Why is it that I have this illness that I just can't get over? Maybe it's a degenerative disease. Why is it that I'm out of work? Why is it that I, my business can't get going again? Why is it that I can't travel to visit loved ones? What is your how long this morning? If you could have a conversation with the Lord as Habakkuk did, and you could ask him how long, what would be yours? In the following verses, we see the Lord's response, and we learn three things from his response. In verse 5, he says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. It was referred to in the prayers which were excellently done. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. That reminds us that God is bigger than the nations. 
He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. The nations and all of these things that we are living are new surprise to him. They are not beyond his control and his sovereignty. He is bigger than the nations. He says, look at the nations and be amazed. I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. We also see that he is beyond time. He is outside of time. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. He sees what is coming. COVID was not a surprise to him. It was to us, but it wasn't to him because he is beyond time. He is outside of time. And maybe this third thing, which I think probably is the most important of these three things we learn about God in his response. He says about the Babylonians, they are a feared and dreaded people. Perhaps the Taliban would be the closest we could relate to with this description. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dug. At dusk, their cavalry gallops along, their horsemen come from afar, and he goes on with a description of what it's going to be like when the Babylonians sweep in and take control of Judah. But the third thing we learn here is that God can fulfill his purposes even in situations that are bad or difficult or painful or confusing. For Habakkuk, as I said, he probably maybe even thought, maybe I shouldn't have even asked the question, because the answer was, this is not going to get better. This is probably going to get worse. But he learned through this response, God can use even bad people, bad situations, bad circumstances, things that confuse us and trouble us and cause us anxiety, he can still use those to fulfill his purposes. So we learn from chapter 1 that God is, a, is beyond, he's above the nations. He's bigger than the nations. He's beyond time. And even difficult and painful circumstances he can use for his purposes. We then jump into chapter 2. We're not going to read it all. But I'll just mention quickly in chapter 2. It shows us that even though God was going to allow the Babylonians to take control, even though it was part of his purpose to allow them to come in as justice and as punishment for the people of Judah, he did not agree with the Babylonians and the way that they were. He did not support what they did. In fact, he was against who they were and what they did. And what they were going to be doing to his nation, to his people, was for a time only. In chapter 2, we talk about the five woes. They're nicely divided for us in verse 6, verse 9, verse 12, verse 15, and verse 18. I love it when it comes together like that. It's beautiful. And he speaks against things like extortion, things like crime, violence, drunkenness, and idolatry. Those are things that characterize the Babylonians. Those are uh, characteristics that God does not support. He does not love those characteristics. He is against them, even though he sometimes allows people who are that way to have an impact and have influence. I'm suspecting that this morning here in BH, uh, most of us would not describe ourselves in these terms. At least I hope so. I suspect that this does not characterize this church. But maybe 
idolatry may be something we need to be a little bit aware of. What is it perhaps in our lives that may take the place of the Lord that might be more important to me than my faith, might be more important to me than my walk with God, might be more important to me than, 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 than all that he wants to do through me and in my life. And maybe just this morning, there's a warning for somebody here just to be a little bit careful. Is there something that's bigger and more important to you than God himself? Because that would be idolatry. And then we move into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, uh, we see a real change of tone in terms of the conversation. In chapter 3, we're not seeing God speak. We're only seeing Habakkuk speak. But interestingly, he speaks here in the form of a song. We know this is a song in chapter 3. There's clues that tell us it's a song. It's a psalm. There's a word at the beginning of uh, verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. Uh, we don't know exactly what that means, but it's a, a Hebrew term, a musical term. The commentators say it's related to um, enthusiasm. So this was not just a sad, downbeat song. This was a song that had some rhythm and it was upbeat. Uh, we see in chapter 3 the word selah, depending on your Bible version. Selah, again, is a musical term. We tend to find it mostly in the book of Psalms. In fact, in the Bible, it only appears 74 times. 71 of those would be in the book of Psalms, and the other three are in this chapter. So again, there's evidence this is a song. And right at the end of the chapter as well, it talks about uh, the musical director. So for some reason, Habakkuk, who begins in chapter 1 with his complaint about how long is this going to happen, by the time we get to chapter 3, he's changing his tune and literally making a tune, making a song where he's causing us to worship God and to remember who God is. And sometimes when we think about church here in BH and we think about, well, why do we sing songs? Why do we sing hymns? Why do we have music? Well, oftentimes it's because it reminds us of truths that we otherwise may forget. And also in music, it kind of sticks in our heads. I don't know if you're like me, but you know, the rest of, of Sunday afternoon and into Monday, I'm remembering the songs that we sang in church on a Sunday. Perhaps if we have worship in our houses or in our cars, those things remind us about truths about God. And we, we remember because it's put to music. And I think here what Habakkuk was doing was encouraging the people of Judah to sing to God, to remember who he was and what he was like and what he had done for them. Even though they were facing imminent invasion and possible destruction, he wanted them to remember. There's references in chapter 3 to the exit from uh, the exodus from Egypt. There's references in chapter 3 to entering the promised land, to the giving of the law. And Habakkuk wants the people of Judah to remember all these things in the form of a song. And as we get to the end of chapter 3, the end of the book... We really get to a climax, to a crescendo of what's happening here in the book of Habakkuk, which speaks to us today. And again, referenced in the prayers, verse 17, 18, and 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, And no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. 
He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. As Debbie and I were facing lockdown, as she's mentioned, living in the middle of nowhere, not allowed to use our car, no supermarkets, banks, chemists anywhere near, we looked forward and we thought, what do we do now? What have we gotten ourselves into? But what we were into at that point was nothing like what was going to happen here. And Habakkuk references, though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. The fig tree and the vine actually throughout the whole testament is used as a reference for a situation of security and a situation of provision. When everything was as it should be for the people of Israel, there's imagery in the Old Testament of the Israelites sitting beneath his fig tree or tending his vine. It was a symbol of security and of provision. And here Habakkuk turns that on his head when he says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, he takes it further. The olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, and even further, there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. He's describing a situation of complete emptiness, of complete barrenness. And maybe as we look at the photograph uh, on the slides, as that man is looking into the distance, there's no green, there's no trees, there's no life. It's barren and it's empty. And in this end of the book, he says, even though those things will happen, yet I will rejoice in God, my Savior. I will be joyful. And it's interesting here that he makes that choice. I will is a decision. And maybe that's a decision for us this morning as we face uncertainty as we face unanswered questions, as we face pain or anxiety in our own lives and in the world in which we live. Maybe that's a decision you and I need to take this morning. I will. Even though COVID is carrying on, even though there may be new strains, even though I cannot travel, even though the economy is not picked up as we thought, even though I can't visit my relatives, even though I am ill, Yet, I will rejoice. It doesn't depend on our circumstances. It depends on our decision. But there's an important thing here, and I want us to finish with that this morning, just to reverse somewhat. What was Habakkuk's secret? How was it possible that he could get from that place of complaint, how long, to that place of praise, even though these things happen, yet I will. And we kind of skipped over it without even reading it. But if we return and reverse back in the message version of the Bible to chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, I'll climb to the lookout tower and scan the horizon. I'll wait to see what God says. How he will answer my complaint. In chapter 2, after he's made his complaint before the Lord and he's questioned what is going on, 
how long do we have to put up with all this? He then makes a decision. He climbs into his watchtower. We assume he was maybe one of the ones that had a role in terms of the defense of the city. Probably had his own watchtower we could go into and just look out and see what was coming. And he makes a choice. I will separate myself off. I will go to a quiet place and I will seek the Lord and wait on him to speak. He climbed into his watchtower and he waited for God to speak to him. He waited for God to touch his life. He waited for God to change his attitude and his perspective. At the end of the book of Habakkuk, at the end of chapter 3, the circumstances have not changed. But his heart has changed. His attitude has changed. His perspective on the circumstances has changed. And I think here, at the start of chapter 2, right in the middle of the book, we find the secret. I'll climb to the lookout tower and scan the horizon. I will wait to see what God says and how he will answer my complaint. And the second question I want to leave with you today, after the first one, which is, what is your how long? What are you struggling with? What is causing you stress and anxiety and pain and doubt and worry? What is your how long? The second question is, where is your watchtower? Where can you go to be with God, to wait on him, to be in his presence, and to listen. I know for my sister, she's been talking about it in the last few days, getting up onto the downs to run or to walk, just to get away and be with the Lord, is a place where she can hear from him and be with him. For Debbie, my wife, her, everyone knows that knows her in Bolivia, her place is in a hammock. Just at the front of our house, out in the hammock, when she's in there, it's almost as an invisible do not disturb. And she's in her time with the Lord. But maybe you have somewhere you could go. Is there a room you could dedicate to being in prayer? Is there a place in your house, even just a comfortable chair, that when you go there, you can be with the Lord, you can search the Lord, you can listen to the Lord, you can put your questions and doubts and worries before him. And even if you don't get the answers you want, like Habakkuk did not get the answers he wanted, the very being in the presence of the Lord can change your attitude and change your perspective on your circumstances too. So this morning, as we think about lessons from COVID, I would challenge you, I would challenge all of us, I would challenge myself. Where is that place that we can be in the presence of God where we can let his spirit minister to us, where he can touch our hearts in the face of adversity and doubt and confusion and uncertainty about what the future holds and what is happening in our world and just allow his presence to touch our hearts as he did with Habakkuk and turn his attitude around and transform him. Let's pray and ask the Lord to transform us in the way that he transformed Habakkuk. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning to look at your word and to see how your word written so long ago 
This book of Habakkuk, 600 years before you, Lord Jesus, appeared on this earth, is as relevant today as the day it was written. We thank you that Habakkuk had the freedom to complain to you, to come before you with his doubts and his questions and his worries and even his anger and frustration. And you were big enough to receive that from him as you are big enough to receive that from us. But at the same time as we bring to you our worries, concerns, doubts, anger, frustration, may we also decide, make a choice that we will rejoice in you because you are still sovereign and you are still good and that we will make a choice to find our watchtower, our place where we can separate ourselves and be in your presence and allow you to touch our hearts and to speak to us and to transform us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.